Welcome to Bear Creek AG. You're getting ready to listen to our current Bible study. Right now, Pastor Tony is walking through the book of James. So grab your Bible and a notepad or journal and join us. Hey, thank you, praise team, for blessing us. And they'll come back here in just a moment. I know you're saying, Pastor, what are you doing? Well, I'm keeping you on your toes. One thing for sure is you don't want to be late because you don't know what you're going to miss. One Sunday, I may start off with a message. You never know. You never know. Anyway, this is not chastisement. Uh, just so glad to see everybody here in the house of the Lord this morning. Everybody doing well? Good, good. It's so good to see you all here. I think I've already mentioned this, but we'll be doing communion. want to welcome everybody online. If you're watching online this morning, you want to take communion at the end of the service with us, go ahead and get your cracker and your juice and get prepared. We will do it at the end of worship um, after I'm finished preaching this morning. Um, one more thing I do want to announce to you. Um, I was meeting with the board because we're coming up to the time of the year where we usually have our homecoming. It's kind of like the church anniversary. If you're wondering what homecoming is, I know younger generation, if you weren't raised in church or raised in a church that had it, it's kind of like the time that we celebrate uh, the church anniversary, the developing, the birth of the church. We call it homecoming because we invite people to come be a part of it. It used to be a part of our church and celebrate our heritage. But the board and I decided because of COVID-19, we're not going to have it in March as we usually do. But what we are planning to do is when we, hopefully by Easter, all of our reconstruction from the storm will be done, and we will like to have a rededication Sunday. We'll be announcing when that is as we find out a little bit more from our contractor when we'll be finished. So we'll try to combine those and have a meal because we like to eat. I'm looking at a bunch of people like to eat. And we just didn't, we didn't want to have homecoming without the meal because that's where we catch up with friends and family and, and so forth. So uh, we're going to try to put something together probably uh, in May uh, when the weather is warm but not too hot and see what we can do as far as social, physical distancing at it. But anyway, just let you know that. So if you're not hearing about homecoming, that's the reason why. All right, are you in Exodus chapter 25 this morning? I heard the other day that alligators can grow up to 15 feet. Did you know that? But I've never found one with more than four. All right. If you're new here this morning, they let me pastor some Sundays. But I always like to start off with a joke to kind of get you prepared for the word, okay? What do you call a cow who tells a bad joke? And you better not say Pastor Tony. Called a milk dud. All right. Why did a man name his dogs Rolex and Timex? Because they were watchdogs. Now, to our message today. We're in our fourth week of this series called God of the Movement. And what we're really trying to do, what I'm trying to do, what I feel like the Lord... Can I be honest with you? Sometimes God lays an idea on my heart and it doesn't fully develop until each week. And I can see kind of what God has been doing, at least from my perspective. I hope you're gasping and grabbing and clenching on to what I feel like God is trying to tell us as a fellowship... But as we look at this, what we're doing is we're looking at the life of the Israelites. Uh, it's more like a 30,000-foot view. We're not, we're, not, we're not drilling down to every single event that's recorded uh, in the Old Testament as a journey from Egypt out of slavery to the Promised Land when they finally uh, are able 40 years later to cross the Jordan into the Promised Land. It's not that. It's more about what can we glean as we look at the overall picture of how God developed his relationship with his people, right? 
and how he went along on that journey. And that's really what we have looked at. If you remember, at week one, we talked about he is the God of the moment. There's times in your life where you got your back up against the Red Sea and the enemy's coming up on you. There's no answer. There's no way. You have no idea how you're going to get out of this pickle, right? You don't have MacGyver with you, right? And, so you say, and that's when God shows up in the moment, and he delivers you. And really, when you look at that from a New Testament perspective, when you look at that from your life, that God of the moment, miracle in the moment, it was the time, the day, the moment you received Christ as your Lord and Savior. I mean, think about that. We talked about how the, the Israelites' bondage represented sin. God delivered them, took them through the Red Sea, which represents baptism, a new relationship with God. Right, And that would be the moment of salvation. Are you, are you putting the dots together? He showed up in the moment, but then the next week we talk about how he's the God of the movement. From there, now he says, you're not, I didn't mean for you to just stay on this side of the Red Sea. No, I have a place I'm taking you called the Promised Land, a place where it's going to flow with milk and honey, where I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, and I'm going, I'm going to take care of you. So he became what? The God of the movement now, as he moved day in and day out, and we saw that how he provided for. He every day provided bread from Hamba called manna and quail for over a million people every day. When they lacked water, he provided water for them. He became that God of the movement as we grow, as we develop, as we transform into the people or into the image of his son. I hope, are you putting it together? This isn't a message series about let's look at the Old Testament, let's look at history. How does their life, from a 30,000 foot view, how does it apply to our lives? What can we learn? Of course, last week we looked at the, the cloud of uh, the, the, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. What did that represent to them? The presence of God, right? And, and, and we said in the movement that where God guides, God provides. And last week we looked at the cloud. We said we, wherever God is faithful. In other words, we should follow the Lord because he is faithful. Follow him. So today we're going to witness another significant part of this journey as they are being taken from a people who have been in bondage to sin, who have been slaves to sin, to the Egyptians, and how now he's, he's building this image, he's building this relationship, he's transforming their lives, and, he, and God is a God, I love it because God, God's the kind of God I, I want to serve because he uses picture words, he uses object lessons to teach, and that's the way I learn. And so today, we're going to look at that, at the journey of Israel through the wilderness and, and why God would have them build the temple. Why the temple? We know that he gave the instructions. There again, we're going to look at this from a high viewpoint because there's over 50 chapters in the Old Testament about the temple how it was to be constructed, how the furniture were to be constructed, how, how big it was going to be. All this is found, and there's no way we can take the time to look at it, but what was the, what was the message God was sending to them with them building the tabernacle? I said temple, forgive me. The tabernacle. What was God's... Why did he say the tabernacle? Why did he give them explicit... I mean, think about that. Why would God... What's his message to them and what's his message to us today? Well, we're going to look at that. So in Exodus chapter 25, we're going to see God speaking to Moses and, and, and what he says. And, and I think what I want you to grasp as we set the table for today is I've already made the analogy. It's like our life. We're saved, God of the moment, and there's still God. He still is God of the moments where he provides those miracles we need. But he's more of God of the movement. And we're supposed to follow him and, and know that he's faithful but what we have to realize about the Israelites is that over time, 
the miraculous slowed down or the miraculous became second nature. In other words, they, they became comfortable with the miraculous. And before long, life became mundane to them. I want, you to, I want you to put that in your mind today, okay? Life became casual to them. All right, we're out of Egypt. We're not going back there. Our enemy's been defeated. God's got us going somewhere. We know where it is, but we're not sure every step of the way. We see God is the God of the movement, and he's with us. But very quickly, that life became mundane to them. Matter of fact, if you really drill down and read those scriptures, if you're reading through the Bible with the church, you've... you've You've, through the year, rather, with the church, you've seen some of the things and how they complain about things and how they rise up against Moses. And, and we, what's happening? Well, this is why God... Well, let's just look at why God wanted them to have the temple, the, the tabernacle. As a, uh, so here we go, Exodus 25, verse 8. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. So it was voluntary. He didn't mandate it. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. So I'm not going to take, you don't take anything, but this is what you can take. You can take gold, you can take silver, and you can take bronze. That's my kind of God. I like that. Let's just start off with gold, Father. There we go. Blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, Achaia wood, oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, unk stones, and stones for setting for the epod and for the breastplate. Verse 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may, may what church? That I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you con concerning the patterns of the tabernacle and of all this furniture you shall make it. So God instructs Moses, I want you to build me a tabernacle. I want you to build me a tent. I want you to build me a dwelling place. You're going to take these offerings of the people. And he gives specific details. And in reality, the, the original tabernacle wasn't much bigger than our church building. If you want to get an idea. Now, we're talking about millions of people worshiping at this tabernacle that would eventually become the temple. It wasn't much bigger than probably from the foyer, the outer walls here, a little bit, maybe even to the outside of the, of the hallways on both sides. Maybe, maybe all the way to the back there. So it wasn't much bigger. So you get an idea. And he says, in there, I want you to make it out of certain, certain things. And there's going to be three compartments to it. So you're going to have, and you know, when I was studying this yesterday, going over my notes, it's kind of, it's kind of like the way the church is constructed. You have, you have the outer courts, which we'd call the foyer. And that's where the people would enter in. And then you'd, you'd have the holy place, which is where, where the, some of the furniture, the, 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 the brazen bowl, uh, the, 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 the altar uh, would be there for, for the sacrifices. And, and that would be the holy place. And that's where, where a lot of the ministry is done. But then the next place, beyond the veil, there would be the holies of holies. And right before the holies of holies, in the holy place, you also had you had a candelabra over here. You had the table of showbread over here. And, and I'm not going to talk about the symbolism, what that means. It all pointed to Christ, okay? And then behind the veil was the, was the uh, Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat laying on top. So you get this image that this would be kind of like the holies of holies. See, just kind of give you an image of, of what it looked like. So a lot of sacrifices going on out here and a lot of blood and all that coming, but then... This is where the priest once a year would enter into the presence of God behind the veil. And God was very detailed in how the tabernacle should be constructed and decorated. But get this. It also had to be mobile. 
Wow, mobile. And that's what the whole tribe of Levi was about. They ministered in the tabernacle, but they also had to roll up everything. And they had the ones when the cloud moved. They, why did God instruct all this furniture to have, have poles and, and these little loops? Because it had to be moved. And so they would carry it. I mean, if, you know why I don't like camping? There's a lot of reasons. But one of the main reasons, because of the setup and teardown of camping drives me crazy. More time is spent setting up the camper or setting up the tent and tearing down, along with the sand in the bed. I never could get Anyways, I'm not here to knock you guys. I'm glad you guys camp. I'm not against it. But I just, it just seemed like a lot of work. And that's what this was. This was a lot of work. This was all done so that what? There would be a place of worship. Worship. It was a place of worship. It was an important life, life lesson in here for us today. And there's really three principles that I'm going to share with you that I feel like the Lord was telling us as a fellowship about the tabernacle, how it applies to us today. But one thing, uh, there's two things I want to point out to you that's not part of the principles or not the lesson here. And one of the things that's not the lesson here, it's not about a physical building. It was never about the tabernacle. It was never about the physical tent or the temple that it would once be. That's, that's not the lesson in here. The lesson is not about that. Yes, God was very precise in how he wanted it built and made. And the reason why is because everything that the temple was constructed of and every piece of furniture in there, even to the color, pointed to Christ. Even the covering. You probably don't know this, and, and but, but I, I do, but he, he wanted the wood framing of the tabernacle to be Achaic wood, which is very strong. It's symbolic of the strength of Jesus. It's all pointing the Hebrew people to Jesus one day. Beside. And then underneath, underneath that was supposed to be the scarlet uh, uh, blankets or, or tapestries that would go over it, which represent his royalty. King of kings. But on top of that was supposed to be goat skin. Or really beaver skin, we believe. Uh, it, was some, it, was, it was wild animal, but supposed to get. Why? Because it was the strength of Christ, the royalty of Christ, wrapped up in flesh. Everything was about pointing God's people to the coming Messiah so that one day when the Messiah come, they could look back on their form of worship and say, this pointed to Jesus. This pointed to the Messiah, see. And so it's not necessarily about a physical place because reality of it is it went from a tabernacle tent to, a, to Solomon's temple. That was destroyed, rebuilt. It was destroyed again in AD 70 by the Romans, and the temple has not been rebuilt as of today. It will be one day. We know that from prophecy. Okay, so it's not about a physical place here. This building, yes, this is a beautiful building. We do all we can. And, man, I've got some great news coming about the lighting in here in a couple of weeks I want to share with you. It's a wonderful place. Yes, we should come together. There's nothing wrong with coming together and worship. And there's something special when God's people come together. But it's not about the, in fact, we call this building and other buildings like, we call it what? The house of, but this isn't the house of God. We're going to look at that. That's changed. This is no longer the house of God. It's a nice place to come worship. It's a nice place we do ministry. This is where God's people gather, but it isn't God's house. God's house is now God's people. Don't you know you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You tabernacle with God. You dwell with God, and He dwells with you. I'm getting ahead of myself. That doesn't mean 
And, and I don't mean to say that worship isn't 24-7. Worship is 24-7. But there is precedence in the Word of God in Scripture uh, that there needs to be those moments in our life where God gets our full attention. Does that make sense? There, there has to be times in our life where we, that's why the message just says stop and worship. There are, there's precedence in the Old Testament, there's definitely precedence in the New Testament Scripture where God wants His people to just stop and worship. But it's not about the building as much as it's about the people actually worshiping. And something else I want to point out to you. It's also about, it's going to cost you something. It costs them something. It costs them their time, their labor, their energy. Uh, It's about stopping and coming and worshiping. It's going to cost them. So before we go into the three points, I want to again build a bridge. Is it okay if I take my time this morning? I want us to build a bridge. This is too important. This whole series from January, the altar series to now. I see hindsight how God is flowing and taking our church on a journey. Please be on the journey with me. I think we need to go from being casual with God to being intimate with God. Do you you see an overview of God? What is God calling us? God's allowing a lot of things to happen in our world. He's showing us very quickly we can't depend on the world as we have. But we can depend on him. And where he leads, he provides. And where he goes, we need to follow because he's faithful. He is the God of the moment, but he's more of the God of the movement. And it's about being intimate, building an altar. Tearing down the old altars. I know I'm going back a month. Tearing down the old altars that we built to the, to the false gods in our lives and rebuilding the altar as Gideon had to do, he had to tear down an altar, build an altar, as we see Isaiah had, excuse me, not Isaiah, but Elijah had to do. So God's calling us. He's saying, I am your God. Be my people. I think he's taken this church. I can't speak for other churches. Let me put it this way. I know he's taking me. He's, he's pulling me. He's, he's pulling me as hard as he can to take me to a place I've never been before in him. And I need your prayers because I know the enemy's fighting me and my flesh is fighting me. But I want to go so I can take you where I've been. I can't take you if I've not been there. I can't take you. I feel God today is just telling us, build this bridge. Look at it, reflect, reflect. So as you follow the cloud because God is faithful, you personally, know that God will show up in those miraculous moments when you're trapped because he is the God of the moment. All right? But it's all for his glory. He doesn't do it for your glory. But also understand that he he is with you in the day-to-day activity of life. And where he guides, he provides. He's going to be there during their mundane times of life when there's nothing exciting happening. And you get bored or you just think, God, where are you? But as he guides you, he wants you to stop during the journey and worship him. And worship him. Every day should be a worship service. But there's times he wants you to stop and worship him. So let's look at it. The first principle is this, that God wants to meet with his people. And this isn't rocket science, I know. We're going to build a bridge with these three principles. But I want you to see that what God wants to do. He says, build me a temple, build me a tabernacle. Because why? I want to meet with my people. God wanted his people to stop so that he could come meet with them. 
He says, where I lead, you follow, and when I stop, you stop, and when I stop, you stop, you build my tabernacle. Because why? I want this time to be a time that you stop, and I meet with you, and you worship me. Why else stop? Why else would he have his people stop? Now, you know the story of the Israelites. They were on the way to the promised land. That first group, they sinned against God. They doubted God. They didn't get to enter in the promised land. And then they wandered in circles for 40 years. I understand that. But this principle was there before they ever went to the Jordan River for the first time. Why? Because there's times that God wants us to stop and to worship him. Because why? He wants to meet with you. If you never stop, you don't have time for God. What's so special about Sundays and the Sabbath day? For those who, who understand the Word of God, it's not legalism. We should every day read our Word. We should every day pray. And every day should be a worship service of the Lord. But what's special about this is God says, I'm setting aside a day because you need rest. You need to remember this day. You need to, now listen, this isn't about building this congregation in numerical. This is about building this congregation into an intimate relationship with God. And you know well as I do that when life happens and you don't have time for God's house, you don't come and worship, you know well as I do, the average Christian, the average person in there, your relationship with God does this. Whew. Because what? You haven't made time for God to meet with you. And God says, I want to meet with my People. Now, we know that God is omnipresent. I've done said that. He's everywhere. Matter of fact, David, I won't go there. You look at Psalms 139. He basically asked God, where can I go to get away from you? Where can I hide from you? He says, I can't even go to Shul. I can't even go to the place of the departed and escape your presence. Why? Because God is everywhere. This isn't about being legalistic. But I'm telling you, God wants to meet with his people. He's not limited to time and place. He just wants to meet with his people. And you can look throughout the Old and New Testament. God set aside a place and a time where he met with his people and dealt with their hearts in a very personal manner. And so that is the purpose of the tabernacle. They would go there. They would offer sacrifice to God. They would worship God. It was confined to a place and a time. He wanted to meet with his people. Not only does he want to meet with his people, but he wants to dwell with his people. This is an idea God wanted to dwell with his people. The word tabernacle means dwelling, a place you would live. When God commanded the people to build a tabernacle for him, what he was saying, he said, I want to dwell with you. I want to live with you. I want to do life with you. Now, there again, God's everywhere. If you're a Christian, he's living in you. But he still says, I want to dwell with you. And we're going to put all these pieces together through the New Testament in just a minute. But there's times I want you to stop because why? I, I, I'm dwelling with you and I want you to stop and I want us to be intimate with each other. So as they travel through the wilderness on their way to the promised land, God wanted people to have a visual reminder that he was with them. Yes, he had the pillar, cloud and fire. That wasn't him. That represented his guidance. The tabernacle represented his presence. He wanted to dwell with his people. Do life with them. Now turn over your Bibles to John chapter 1. I purposely didn't put these scriptures up here because I want you to use your Bibles. I want you to use your sword today. I want you to get, blow the dust off of it. <laughs> Joking. I tell you the one about the alligator? Yeah, I did then. Okay. Never seen one with 15 feet, but I'd be an interesting sight for sure. 
John chapter 1, verse 14. Listen to what the Apostle John writes about Jesus. He says, and the word, representing Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the Greek word for tent or tabernacled. He tabernacled among us. He, okay? And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of what? Full of grace and truth. So when Jesus came, he was the dwelling place of God, for he was God, and he tabernacled, or he lived among the people or among us, if we want to use it in that context. And remember, the Old Testament tabernacle is the foreshadowing of Jesus. So when Jesus showed up, he said, I am the tent that God now dwells in. He says, I am the embodiment of God. We're putting pieces together, okay? Got, got to use your noggins here this morning. I'm in the body. So Jesus was God dwelling among people, man. He tabernacled among man. He dwelled among man. He lived among man. He was doing life with man. And as he did, Jesus showed us the glory of his Father, the grace of God, and the truth of God as he walked on planted earth, as he walked among them. So the tabernacle pointed to Jesus. The tabernacle was to teach the people that someday the Messiah would come. And as they looked at the tabernacle, they would be able to see Jesus in every aspect of it. So God wants to meet with his people. God, More than that, God wants to dwell with his people. Which leads us to the third principle before we go into worship this morning. God wants his people to dwell with him and in him. Forever. He wants to meet with us, he wants to dwell with us, and he wants us to dwell, meet with him and dwell in him. Okay? Ready? Is this okay? Look, I think I have your attention, but some of you are looking a little puzzled. Just stay with me. It's going to make sense, okay? So I hope you're seeing the progression, though, okay? He wants to meet with us. That's the foreshadowing or the idea of what it looks like. With the tabernacle, right? And then Jesus comes and he gets, he is the fulfillment of the tabernacle and all that it means. And so God dwelling here, he was dwelling here. He was here and Jesus came, he lived among men, and he becomes God present among us. Now that Jesus has come, he's died on the cross, he has rose again from the dead, and he's at the right hand of the Father. When a person believes in him, he, he becomes their Savior. And what happens? He dwelled in them through what? His Holy Spirit. Okay? You become a follower of Jesus, God places his Holy Spirit in you. You and I have become the temple of God, and he tabernacles with us. We become the dwelling place of God. We are the temple. There's a holies of holies. There's a holy, there, there's, the, there's the courts. Right? Are you gathering what I'm talking about? Your heart is the holy, it's where God dwells. Okay? Now, It's not about the building. We said that. You are the dwelling place of God. Buildings are great. We use them for God's purpose, for God's ministry. We definitely use them for worshiping the Lord. But you are God's house when you become a follower of Jesus. We get 24-7 access to the holies of holies in heaven. Jesus became our high priest. And we are a royal priesthood. Now where the high priest used to go behind the veil in the original temple, the original tabernacle, now Jesus is in the presence of God. And because he is, we now have access to the presence of God because of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Okay. 
Now look at John 15. Turn to John 15. I want to. We're going to wind this baby up here in just a minute. Let you guys worship. John 15, 5. John 15, 5. If you need me to wait a minute, say, whoa. Very good. Jesus speaking says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, those who live in me, those who dwell in me, those who tabernacle with me, and I in him, those I tabernacle with, those I live in, those I'm doing life with, he is that bears much fruit. So if I'm in you, you're going to be fruitful. You're going to be much fruit. Okay? For apart from me, you can do nothing. So here's the big picture. God wants to meet with his people, but more than that, he wants to dwell with his people. But even more than that, he wants to be in our lives permanently. So God sends the Holy Spirit to live in us. And one step further, now he wants us to learn how to dwell in him. He wants me and you to find our identity in Christ. He wants me and you to find our wisdom through him and his word. He wants us to find our purpose in him. He wants us to find our source of power in him. He wants us to find our provision in him. He wants us to find our protection in him. He wants us to find our joy and our happiness in him. Why? Because he is dwelling among us, but we're dwelling in him. What are we doing? We're tabernacling together, and we're doing life together. It's no more that I have to go to a building to worship him. Yes, we should not forsake the gathering togethers of ourselves. Yes, you should be coming to church on Sundays. Can I be honest with you? Because God God still wants to meet with you as a fellowship, as a body of Christ, as we worship each other, as we encourage each other, because he uses his body, you and I, to minister to one another. But it's not about that at all. It's only a part of it. hope you understand my passion about this. Everything I need to live my life, I find in the source of God who lives inside of me, who wants me to completely depend on him and live in him at all times. At all times. See, Jesus, God in the form of Jesus, in a way, came out of the tent. And he dwells in us today, you see. He wants to come and live in you. If you will follow him, you will dwell together in perfect harmony. And that's what the tabernacle foreshadows. Jesus brings us to this permanent, never-interrupting presence of God. He is always with us me and here's the thing how often do I stop and honor that I know he's with me but how often do we stop and honor his presence how often do I focus on the fact that he is here in me on me around me how, when, how do I stop how do I do that I, I know in my life I've stopped when I've had problems. I know I've stopped when I'm in a crisis, a moment of pain, a moment of desperation, a moment of loss, uh, when I felt alone, maybe depressed, uh, or in deep hurt or, or fence. I know, and, there, and those are great times to stop, but reality is in those times, I don't stop to worship him as much as I stop, and this is okay, the laminate, to cry out to him, and, and he wants that. He wants us to do that. Can I be honest, though? Most of the times we don't have to necessarily do that because he's already with you, already knows what you need before you even know you need it. It's more of trusting and following him as he becomes the God of the movement in your life 
But it's okay to come to him. There is precedent that says, if you have a need, call for the elders of the church. So I'm not against that. But I, I don't let my needs be what drives me to his presence or to stopping and honoring his presence, see. There's nothing wrong with it. And then there's those times when everything is going great and I wake up in the morning, can't wait to spend time with God and can't wait to come together with you on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night and worship together. I mean, those are great. I, I can't wait for those times to spend time with God in worship. And I need to do that. And you know what? Israel needed to do that often. And I won't go into all the details, but that's why God ascribed different festivals. Every, during the year. Five or six major festivals where God says, not only are you supposed to come and worship me um, during, during the week, but there's times I want you to stop. The Day of Atonement, the, the, the festivals of Pentecost, the festival of first fruits, of, of the unleavened bread, the Passover. All those times. That they're, but guess what? Every one of them also point to Jesus. See, your life is intended to be the space in which God meets with you continually and grows you and transforms you into his desire for you, what he wants you to be. It's all a matter if you are willing to stop, to pause, and to worship. Are you willing to stop and honor his presence and recognize his presence? Well, I stop in the morning and spend time with him. See? Well, I take time and skip a meal or two as he leads and just spend time in his word and prayer. It's called fasting. Well, I gather with God's people and lift up my voice uh, with you and, and worship the Lord and, and, and adore him. Well, I stop when I see a sunset and just say, wow. I would say a sunrise, but I don't usually get up that early. Although I did see it rise this morning. Yeah, and worship him and thank him for it. Well, I stop when I hear birds singing and join in the chorus. Man, spring's here. Birds are singing. It's beautiful. Will I daily make an altar whereby God can show up and dwell with me, even though he's already in me? See, see, I want to caution you about something because this is what we've made worship. And I love the fact that they're doing worship collective and some of the things that, that Sam said about that, just trying to express the vision behind why they're doing what they're doing. But I want to point out to you this because he said it too in a different way. Worship. Nothing about worship is about your enjoyment or your experience. Mm -mm. I know there have been times where we've made statements about how good the worship was and how much we enjoyed it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, God gets glory and honor when I enjoy worship. He does. There's no doubt about it. And it brings honor and glory to him when I delight in him and, he glorify, and I glorify him. There's nothing rich, there's, there's something rich about the experience of worshiping God and nothing wrong with enjoying it as long as we remember this one thing. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about my, me feeling good. It's not about me getting excited. It's not about me worshiping. Uh, it's about me rather worshiping him and reverencing his presence. This morning, it's not about how good the creative team sounds. It's, it's not even about the anointing on them, whether they have it or not. Can I be honest with you? We want them to have anointing. We want their leadership to be anointed as much as you want my leadership when I preach to be anointed. But I can tell you something, whether they are or not, should not inhibit us from worshiping God. See, you, you, 
It's about Him. It's about Him wanting to meet with us and dwell with us. And if you know from my last series, when you make an altar, which is a form of worship, we see it went from people making altars in the Old Testament as they went and, and to memorialize things or to meet with God to where God instituted the tabernacle, the tent, and now he says, now I want you to worship me here because this is where my presence is going to be. So, but, we, but regardless, when we do that, God says, when you do this, I'm going to show up and I'm going to bless you. But it's not about the blessing. He says he will, but it's not about the blessing. It's about you showing up and meeting with him. Are, are you with me this morning? It's not about the music style. It, 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 it's, it's, it's not. It, it, hear me. It's about you taking time and making yourself available to worship God, not just to receive his blessings, but to worship the Lord. It's not about filling the goosebumps. It's not about getting your needs met. It is about you stopping. It is about you ascribing worship to God. It is being awestruck by how awesome and amazing God is in a way that causes you to want to draw closer to him and humble yourself more and even worship him more, becoming more intimate with him. Now, don't get me wrong. There is something very special when God's people come together. Two or three are gathered together in his name. You know, he fills this room up every week and often demonstrates his love for us through, through the gifts and operation and through times of prayer as he calls people up for salvation, for healing, for whatever, whatever it is. But it's not about that. And if you came here today with a need, it's okay that you came here with a need. And I'm trusting God that when you leave here, you're going to change. You're going to leave changed in what you came in here. And that need is going to be met because he's the God of the moment. But God, more importantly, says, I want you to spend time with me. Don't worry about that. If you're in right relationship with me, my spirit dwells in you. You have fellowship with me. Just stop and worship me. And don't worry about your needs because I have those taken care of. Because I'm the God of the moment. I'm the God of the movement. Don't be needs-driven here today. Be worship-driven here today as the worship team comes back up here this morning. It's not about me. It's not about my preferences. It's not about my time schedule. It's not about what I want to do. It's about Him and Him alone. And you know well as I do, that's why coming together is so important for us. It's not about illegalism. It's not about heaven or hell, whether you come to church. Although in the Old Testament, it tells us to come to him. And in the New Testament, it tells us to come to him. So there's something there about it. But don't get all washed up in that. Just make sure that you spend time, that you stop, and you worship God. He wants you to. He desires your attention today. He desires your attention today. God is here today. Like every day. Amen? But he's definitely here in a special way today. And what I wanted to do before we do communion, before we take communion, remember, I want us, because we're about to remember his death. As often as you do this, do this. But he also says, hey, before you do it, just examine yourself. So let's this morning as we worship, you may have needs. I understand there's a lot of needs in our church. I've had three or four people say, Pastor, we need to pray for this. We need to pray for this. We need to pray for it. I hear you, but for right now, we're going to focus on worshiping our Lord. We're going to bow our hearts. We're going to humble Him. 
I am who he says he, I am. I'm his child, but I also know being his child, I have those benefits, but I also know that he's God and I'm created. I'm just a little lower than the angels. That's what his word says. But I love him. I think about all that he's done for me. He didn't have to do. And even if he didn't do, I love what Sam said. Even if he, it's not about right now worshiping for all that he's done. He's done a lot. And it's not worshiping, trying to gain his favor so that he'll keep doing those things because he's true. Where he guides, he provides. Right? Follow the cloud. Follow the cloud. And let's just stop. Today's the day of worship. Today is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. And today is our Sabbath. Let's remember him. Let's keep it holy. Let's worship him. Amen.